start this morning uh, with just a little bit of audience participation. We don't always do this, so if this makes you uncomfortable, we'll all be uncomfortable together, okay? And uh, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just about five or ten seconds, and I, I want you to just think about the... I'm going to give you a question, and the first thing that comes to, to mind, I want you to share it with the person next to you, okay? And so here in just a second, I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about it. But if someone was going to force you to name your favorite love song of all time, what would your favorite love song of all time be and why? Now, but before you share it, there's some of you that like really are into music and you're trying to think of the most obscure, <laughs> random song to prove how into music you are. Don't do that right now. Don't you think, like, what's, what's your most favorite love song of all time and why? And it's a big question. Five, four, three, two, one. Tell somebody next to you, what, what, what's your favorite song and why? Turn to somebody else if you haven't had a chance to hear theirs yet. What's your favorite love song of all time? Okay, 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 here we go. Um, how many of you just judged the person next to you because of the song they shared? A few of you in the okay, hey, hey. Here's what we're going to try. On the count of three, I want you to just yell out your song as loud as you can, okay? One, two, three. And how awesome would it have been if we would have all said the same song? It'd be like such a sign of church unity, just the spirit just like, just moving among us. Um, and it's a, it's a funny question, isn't it? Like, what, what is your favorite love song of all time? I remember uh, when I was in elementary school, we had this tradition uh, my dad started this. In fact, I have no idea why he did this. I need to ask him when I see him next week. But we had this tradition uh, that kind of lasted the first four or five years I was in elementary school where on the first day of school, he would make me pick out a song. And here's the rule. I could pick out one song that we would have to listen to on repeat on the way to school and on the way home from school every day for the entire year. And so, true story. So he'd say, hey, here's your song. And a lot of pressure. I mean, it's the pressure that some of you felt a minute ago, like favorite love song of all time. Like, how do I, I picked this. And so every year, hey, pick your song. What is your song? What's it going to be? And we did this till I was in like fourth to fifth grade, and I'm sure he got sick of doing it at that point. But I'll never forget second grade. That summer, I had seen a movie called Back to the Future. Raise your hand if you've ever seen Back to the Future. <laughs> Saw that movie. It was made before some of you were alive. That's okay. Great movie. <laughs> And uh, there's this scene in Back to the Future where the main character, Marty McFly, is getting ready to go to school, and he hops on this skateboard. And he's riding on this skateboard to school, and it's like the coolest scene in the whole movie, in my opinion. And this epic 80s love pop power rock ballad, whatever it was called, comes on as he's riding on a skateboard. And it was this song by Huey Lewis in the News, uh, Huey Lewis in the News called The Power of Love. Have any of you ever heard that song, The Power of Love? And I remember I heard that, and I'm like, that is the new soundtrack to my life. Like... <laughs> Like, that song is going to be my song. And so I remember first day of school comes around, Dad says, hey, what's going to be our song this year? And I'm like, the power of love. I mean, is there another song for the year? And so we buy the cassette tape, and I kid you not, same story every morning. You get in the car, put it in on repeat, the power of love, just, just rocking out. Uh, listen to it for a whole year. True story. I get to third grade, and Dad's like, what's the song going to be? I'm like, might as well have round two of the power of love. I mean, <laughs> how can you get sick of that song? And so for... Two years, two years, every day, coming and going from school, we'd, we'd listen to this song, The Power of Love. And, and, and here, here's what I love about that song. I was thinking about it this week, you know. On, 
almost all levels, it's just this like really shallow, normal 80s pop radio song about love. And yet there's this whole other dimension to it because the whole song is about this power that love has both to lift a person up, but also to bring a person down. I think so often like in our culture, when we think about like the power of love, we tend to think of that kind of like euphoric, like lifting of the soul that happens. You know, some of you fell in love for the first time this year and you know, it was like that moment, the clouds part and the sun comes out and everything's good. And those of us that have been loved for longer, that's going to wear off. I'm telling you on some level, uh, it'll come back, right, Sid? I promise. Yeah. Um, but, but we tend to think of the way that love lifts us. But what I loved about the song was it wasn't just about the way that love lifts us, it's about the way that love lowers us as well. And that love has this gravitational force of pulling you into the places you never thought you'd be. You know, just talk to that child that's taking care of their aging parent. And they realize love has this way of pulling you lower into some of the things you never thought you would do. Or, or, or talk to that parent that's caring for a kid that's going through a really hard time. And they'll tell you about the way that love has this way of, of pulling you lower. Or talk to a wife whose husband is threatening to go. And they'll talk about the way that love has this power to sometimes pull you lower. And this is the, the, the beauty and, and, and the power of, of love. It's what I loved about that song. Is that it talks about this love that lifts you, and it's this love that, that pulls you down. And I was thinking about it all week because you, you come to this moment in Philippians chapter 2. It's this little letter that's tucked away in the New Testament. It's this letter that was written by this serial entrepreneur, this church planner, this guy named Paul, who would go all over the place starting churches, and he shows up in this cosmopolitan city of his day, this city called Philippi. It was the New York City of its region. And Paul starts this church among the most unlikely people, and he hands it over to the most unlikely of leaders, this fashion mogul named Lydia, this, this prison guard with abusive tendencies before he came to Jesus. And he shows up, and in the power of love, he begins to remind them of the beauty and the significance of who King Jesus is. And I love it because here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul takes a break from writing the letter that he was writing, and he begins to write the lyrics of a song that most believe are the oldest Christian hymn ever written. It's the song that would have been their heart song. It's the song that would have been on repeat for the Christians of their day. It's the, the song that they would have listened to and from school, the song that they sang. It was the first original Christmas hymn, and it was a song that was designed not just to bring the Christians to a point of celebration, but to bring the, the Christians to a point of imitation, because Paul knew that the story of Christmas was not just something for us to believe in our minds. It was for, something for us to embody in the context of our life. And so I love this. In Philippians chapter 2, he begins to remind them of this love song. This song that was all about the, the power of God's love to bring a person lower in ways that they could have ever imagined. And this is how he begins to, to set up the song in verse 5. He says this. He says, in your relationships with one, with one another... Have the same attitude or the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And so I love this. He's, he's getting ready to quote this song that they know. He says, but I don't want you to just hear the lyrics and, and let them go in and through. He says, I don't want you to just sing the lyrics. He says, I want this song that you know to come into your mind and into your heart, into the context of your life. And he says, and what you see in this song is supposed to become the pattern of your life. I think if Paul was standing before us this morning, he'd say, hey, church, Christmas can't just be something we celebrate. It's got to be something we imitate. So he says, in, 
in your relationships with one another. Have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. And then he begins to quote this song that they knew. This was their heart song. He says, because Jesus, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the song that he, he begins to quote. You see it in your Bibles. It's kind of indented a little bit. It's this song that they knew, and I love the place that he starts. He begins to remind them of this song that had been resonating in their hearts for some season, this love song that was about the power of God's love, but it wasn't about the power of God's love to lift the church. It was about the power of God's love to bring the church down to lower the church into the very spaces, into the crevices of society that the church was meant to live and breathe and move all along. Paul's going to look at them and he's going to say, this song that you have in your heart about the power of God's love is not just about lifting you to new heights. It's about bringing you to new places of, of service. And he reminds them, he says, this song that you know, this song that you sing, this Christmas story that you know is not just something to celebrate. It's something that you imitate. And here's what I want you to notice in the song. That the song in and of itself is an invitation to embrace the downward mobility of Jesus' life. That the life of Jesus is not something for us to stand back and to applaud like someone sitting in a stand of a football stadium, although that's good. The life of Jesus is this invitation to set down the popcorn and the Coke, to climb over the bleachers, to put on the pads, to stand on the field and say, Christ, where you go, I go. What you do, I do. How you love, we love. And the song is about the power of God's love, not just to lift us up, but to lower us down. And he says, you know the song, but will you live the song? Hey, you know the words, but will you live the words? Will the words bring you all the way down? Jesus, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. I, I love this first verse of the song. It's where we'll spend almost all of our time this morning. I want you to let those words just re resonate in the corridors of your heart, Jesus, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. I think about this exchange that Paul is talking about here in the song. He says, I want you to notice this. He says, I want you to notice what it is that love would cause Jesus to do. I want you to notice how low love would bring Jesus, that Jesus in the midst of the Christmas story, would exchange his privilege while holding on to his personhood. That he would give over his heavenly privilege without giving over his heavenly identity. I want you to think about this. I remember being a kid and I'd read this and I'm like, okay, how could God come to earth and live as a human being without losing his godness? I mean, think about the, the bold claims of the scripture. That God is so big, he can use the earth as his footstool, but he becomes so small and humble that he fits in Mary's belly. 
the grand paradox of God, the bigness and the beauty and the boldness of God, and yet the humility of God to come near. And Paul says, I, I want you to see this in the song that you sing, that Jesus would exchange the privileges of heaven without ever exchanging his identity as God's son, without giving over his personhood. It'd be like President Obama seeing the mess that's unfolding in Aleppo and him saying, hey, I'm going to Aleppo, but I'm not taking any secret service. I'm not taking the army. I'm not taking any transportation. I'm not taking any money. There's no get out of jail free card. Like when things get tough, I'm going into the midst of the mess. And here's what we would know if that happened. We would know that in the midst of the mess, he is still our president. He has not forfeited his personhood or his identity. What he has forfeited is the privileges that were always attached to his personhood or his identity. Does that make sense? And this is the claim of the song. Paul says, you've been singing the song about the power of love. And he says, I want you to, to see the claims of the Christmas season. What it is that we're proclaiming here is that God has come near. And when he came near, he lost none of his divineness, but he gave away all of his privilege. And until we can imagine the scope of the privilege that he forfeited, we can never receive the beauty of the love that he gave us in that exchange. I mean, have you ever let your imagination just run wild? I'm sure you have, as a loaded question. Have you ever let your imagination run wild in regards to the privileges that Jesus let go of so he could take on human skin? Just a few of them. Let's just think about them together. You could probably come up with a huge list. I'll just give you a few that have been in my heart all week. Have you ever thought about the sensory pleasures that Jesus had to let go of to come from heaven to earth? I know that's kind of a weird phrase, sensory pleasures. I think sometimes when we think about heaven, we, we tend to think about disembodied spirits, just like wandering around somewhere up there, singing old church hymns. That's not the picture of heaven you see in the scripture. You get this, the, this picture of the physicality of heaven. And that God made all of your senses, your taste, your touch, your sight, your smell, all of those things were created by God. And have you ever allowed your imagination to think about how those things will be engaged in the kingdom of heaven? Have you ever sat around and wondered, I wonder what heaven smells like? Isn't that fun to think about? What will heaven smell like? The best meal you've ever smelled, the best perfume the best scent from a flower or whatever it is. Have you ever thought about the smells of heaven? Have you ever thought about the taste of heaven? Like the, the, the food that you're going to eat? I mean, how often in the Bible does it talk about feasting at the banquet table of God? No matter the best meal you've ever had at Cain Prime or Rolf and Daughters or Taco Bell, whatever it is that's in your pay grade. <laughs> The taste of heaven is going to be far exceeding that. Have you ever thought about the, the touch of heaven? What will heaven feel like? The touch of soft cotton or grass on your feet. Or the music of heaven. Man, your favorite music. Everything on sensory overload. And that before Jesus came from heaven to earth, he was in the middle of the deepest sensory pleasure you could ever imagine. 
And he exchanges that, that privilege, and he comes to earth, and I go, have you ever imagined what the first sound would have been? He goes from hearing all the praises of heaven to hearing the sound of cattle and a screaming mother. The first touch would be the rough hands of his dad, the carpenter, that pull him from the womb and then set him in the scratchy straw of a manger. Have you ever thought about the first smell? Being there amongst the animals, you know, Jesus was going, this is a downgrade. <laughs> to exchange the pleasure. The sensory pleasure. You keep going, your imagination can go other places. It's not just the, the sensory pleasure, it's the, the safety. I mean, the safety of heaven, it's what you all long for. All of us long to be in a safe space. All of us want to be in a place that's totally protected. And Jesus was in the center of everything that is safe. In the middle of God's power, in the middle of God's presence, surrounded by God's army, literally in this untouchable sphere of safety. And he exchanges that privilege of the divine, and he comes down, and all of a sudden he finds himself in human skin where a common cold could kill him. Where he spends his life running from the threat of attack. And he exchanges safety for insecurity and for violence and the, the, the harsh reality of the world. You keep going, just sensory pleasures, his security. Have you ever thought about his wealth? I don't know when's the last time you thought, sat around and thought about just the wealth of Jesus. You know, I love that story of the rich young ruler where Jesus is looking at the rich young ruler. It's an amazing story. And we always think of Jesus the carpenter asking the rich young ruler to let go of his riches. But Jesus is looking at a man, inviting him to do what he's already done. Jesus is going, I was the first rich young ruler. I had everything. And he went from being the firstborn son of heaven, the richest being in the cosmos, to being born to a first century Middle Eastern refugee family of unwed parents. From wealth to poverty, from sensory pleasure to a stable, from security to danger, from blamelessness to being misunderstood. I mean, think about this. In heaven, Jesus surrounded by angels, being worshiped and affirmed and loved from every direction for all of eternity. And then he's born into a manger and all of a sudden he's just the son of that whore who's been lying to him his whole life. Wait, your mom's the one who told everyone she got pregnant by God? You see, we, we disconnect the story from reality. Don't you know middle school was difficult? His brothers and his sisters didn't know what to do with them. His friends all abandoned him. He went from a place of constant worship to a place of being constantly misunderstood. He went from this place of perfect community, God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son existing in perfect community in heaven, surrounded by angels, to finding himself on earth in a place of total abandonment. At the cross, the movement that he begun looked like it had all but died. Mouth were not about his physical, and everybody left him. And on the cross, the cries of Jesus' own mouth were not about his physical pain that he was enduring from the nails, but about the spiritual and emotional pain he was experiencing being separated from the community he had known for all of eternity. See, these are, are privileges that are tough for us to imagine. But it's what Jesus handed over. 
It's what Jesus handed over to make the journey from heaven to earth. And all week long I went, why? Like what on earth would cause anyone to let go of that sort of privilege? And the answer is you. It's you. This morning I was thinking about this. That I get to gather in a room with people who are the objects of heaven's fiercest love. A love so thick it would pry Jesus' fingers off the privilege of heaven so he could come into the brokenness of earth. There are some of you that feel so insignificant in your own workspace that when you walk in the room, your boss doesn't think you're valuable enough to stand up and shake your hand. But in the eyes of heaven, heaven views you irreplaceably. And that Christ Jesus would come and that he would lower himself and he didn't do it out of mere duty. <laughs> and he didn't do it out of mere obligation. He did it because the power of love is the only force on earth strong enough to bring someone that low. And I go, what a privilege that is to be loved by God that way. Even before you knew that he was worth loving. And if you stop to think about that this Christmas season, in the hustle and the bustle of everything that we do, to go, wow, heaven would let go of the privileges of heaven so that I could take hold of life with God. Wow. I remember when my oldest son, Micah, was born. The day he was born, we got him this little orange aardvark, this little stuffed animal. And we named him Andy. And uh, Micah, almost immediately when he began speaking, renamed him Didi. And uh, I mean, he loves Didi. And he takes Didi everywhere with him. And, and I remember... Uh, all throughout uh, uh, Micah's growing up years, the first couple of years, he would lose Didi everywhere. You know, he would leave him somewhere, and we'd get home, or we'd get somewhere else, and we'd go, oh, no, where's Didi? Like, where, where's Didi at? How are we going to find Didi? And so I remember this one night in particular, Micah was about two years old, and he had left Didi, and, uh, and we're trying to think where we'd been. We thought, okay, we we're at Baja Burrito, which is a great guess for us. You know, if you're not going to find us at Ethos, we're probably going to be at Baja Burrito. So I, 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 I rushed back over to Baja Burrito. And, and the place is, is closed down, and, but I can see people inside working. And I'm like, just like nailing, they're just like banging on the door, come on, open up. And they're trying to like wave at me, we're closed. I'm like, I know we're closed, I need you to, and I need you to open up. And so I'm knocking on the door, and, and eventually they come, and they say, hey, we're, we're closed. And I'm like, I know, my son left something here, can I grab it? And they said, yeah, come on in. And so I come in, and I'm like looking under all of the tables, and then I find this like little bent up aardvark sitting in a pile of chips and salsa under the table. It actually made him better, you know. He's like laying there in the salsa. And it, I remember picking him up, and the guy that worked there, he's like, isn't this a lot of effort? Like, like why'd, you, why'd you come back here all the way? For, why'd you come here for this? He's like, can you just buy another one? I'm like, we tried that actually, and my, our son figured that out. Like, we bought a replacement in case this happened, and he could tell it was an imposter. He knows the difference. <laughs> And I said, I said, it's tough to explain, but if you knew how much my son loves this thing, 
you would understand why it was worth me getting dressed and getting off the couch and getting in the car and coming here to get it. And I go, man, sometimes I just look around and I go, man, God, why in the world would you come for us? God says, you just can't see what I see when I look at you. You just can't see it yet. Wow. And that's the heart of Christmas. That Christ, who in his very nature was God, did not consider the privileges that came with God something he should use to his own advantage. So he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, putting on human likeness, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I love this. If we stopped here, I'd be like, wow, let's stand up, let's worship. Because it makes me want to worship. But Paul says, listen, this isn't just about you worshiping. This isn't just about you celebrating. You know, never once in the Bible are we told to celebrate the story of Christmas. But we're told over and over and over to imitate the message of Christmas. And this is what he says. Look back at verse 5. This is the last verse we're going to look at. He says, in your relationships with one another... Have the same attitude. Have the same mindset. Allow this same love that has brought Christ low to bring you low with him. Because the life of Christ is not just something to celebrate. It's something that we've been invited to imitate. And if you look around you, all around you, you see the Christmas story with skin on it. I think about earlier this year, I was on a plane. And I had the privilege of sitting next to this woman named Maria And her son, he was 48 years old. She was in her early 70s. Maria uh, was from Puerto Rico. And she began to tell me her story as I was getting to know her son. Her son uh, was uh, uh, um, physically and um, uh, mentally um, uh, disabled. And she begins to tell me his story. And she tells me that she has 11 children, all of whom are adopted, all who are special needs in one way or another. And here she is in her 70s wrestling with who's going to love her kids the way she loves them once she and her husband pass away. And it was this amazing picture. She begins to tell me what it was like when she was in her early 20s. And she and her husband had all of these dreams about what they're going to do with their life and what was going to happen and how they're going to live into it and how this is all going to play out. She said, but I remember going to an orphanage and visiting for the first time and seeing that no one would adopt the special needs kids. And she says, so my husband and I, we had this choice. Do we leverage the privilege of our life and our time and our energy and our dreams for ourselves or do we hand over those privileges for the sake of somebody else? And I'm like, what would cause you to do this? And I'll never forget, she just looked at me, her eyes full of tears. She said, the love of God. She said, only the love of God. Wow, it's Christmas. It's the story of Christmas in the woman, Maria. Or think about my, my friend Whitney, who lives in Seattle. She's a part of our church for years. She's a part of this group called Samaritan's Purse, and they go all over the world, and they serve in these unthinkable situations. I saw her this past week when I was in Seattle visiting our church planners, and she told me that the, the day after Christmas, 
She's getting on a plane and she's going to Mosul, Iraq for four weeks where with Samaritan's Purse, she's going to be five miles from the fighting with ISIS, serving people that have been wounded in the fights and are trying to get away. I'm like, what makes a young single woman get on a plane the day after Christmas and leave the privileges of a place like America to go to Mosul, Iraq? The love of God. The love of God. Or think about my friend Brian. He had an amazing career and a family and a wife who her career was taken off simultaneously. And there's this moment where they go... We both can't chase our dreams simultaneously. And so he just decided, he says, I'm going to give up the privilege that so often comes with being the man in the house in a place like America. And he says, I'm going to just set my career aside. I'll take care of the kids. Baby, you chase your dream. You go for it. I remember sitting in a Christmas party with him years ago, and he was talking about how uncomfortable it was because the first question every guy asks another guy is what? Hey, what do you do? And every time he has asked that question, he was reminded of what it was that he'd given up. And he handed over his privilege for the sake of somebody else. It's the Christmas story. I see Amos and Ann. I think about the Meeks. I think about their house church. The way they said, hey, we're going to hand over our house church for the sake of refugees in the city. And we're going to love them. and We're going to serve them. Even when they can't speak our language, we're going to love them. Why in the world would you all do that? It's the love of God. And Paul says this is not just something we celebrate this season. It's something we get to imitate. And I go, what would the song of Christmas look like with your skin wrapped around it? What would the power of God's love look like if it brought you all the way low? And if it began to work itself out in the context of the places where God has placed you already. You know, some of you are going to get a great opportunity to do this. You're getting ready to spend the holidays with some really difficult people. And some of you are already figuring out, how can I get away from them as quickly as possible without them knowing what I'm doing? They know what you're doing. We all know what you're doing, right? And I go, well, what, what, if, what if your aim was different this season? And what if you allowed the power of God's love to bring you lower? for the sake of those that you'll be around, so that the glory of God could be seen clearer. How incredible would that be? This last week when I was in Seattle, I was hanging out with our church planners, and they had a meeting during one of the days, and so I had to go grab lunch by myself, and I went to my favorite little lunch spot, a little local spot in Seattle called Chipotle, and I'm there... (laughs) I'm there in in line at Chipotle, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting my food, and I'm just starting a conversation with a guy behind the bar. And I said, hey, man, what what are you most excited for in the holidays? And he looks at me and he says, I'm excited for them to get over with. Like, wow, aren't you a cup of Christmas cheer, you know? And and I was too curious. I was like, like, what's, like, why? Like, why do you want to get past the holidays so quickly? And he said, it's not really the holidays. He said, it's just more this year. He says, this year, and I'll never forget what he says. He says, this year has been like a cultural dumpster fire that just won't go out. He said, every part of the year, it's like it just keeps burning and it gets worse and worse. He says, I just want to wake up on January 1st and hit the reset button and hopefully everything will be different. And I was sitting there talking with him. I thought, man, this is a guy that doesn't just need me to believe in Christmas. This is a guy that needs to see me in body Christmas. Yeah. 
Because I know that on January 1st, it's not just going to reset. That he needs to see the Christmas story come all the way down. And I go, what would happen if we just opened our eyes to that all around us? I go, and this is the choice we get to make, you know. Over the next few days, you can, you can go home and you can celebrate this. You can come back tonight, you can celebrate this. But we weren't made to celebrate this. We weren't made to just get Jesus out of the attic and put him on the front yard of the nativity scene and sing our carols and read our stories. Then on January 1st, put Jesus back in the attic where he belongs. The song about the power of God's love is not a seasonal song. It's the marching orders for the Christian life. And it's something we're being invited to step all the way into. There are some of you here this morning who are not Christians. And I just want to say this as clearly as I know how to say it. God loves you with all of his heart. And Jesus Christ is the proof. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone or how far you've come. Jesus wants you to know him. And this can just be another year that you celebrate or this can be a year where you begin to surrender your life to the audacious love of God that would pry Jesus' fingers off the privilege of heaven so that you could know him. <laughs> if you want to know the Lord, this morning we would love to help you step into a friendship with God. There will be some men and women in a few minutes at the respond banner. We'd love to just pray over you. We'd love to help you understand what that means. But for the rest of you who are already followers of Jesus, I just want to ask you, how will you live this out this year? How will you try this on for size? How will the song not just be a song, but how will it be your story? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray over us. As we get ready to take communion, as we get ready to worship and thank God that he has come among us, as we get ready to surrender our lives to him in fullness. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth of this story. God, would you just take, take this scripture, Lord, but more than the scripture, would you take the truth that you have loved us so fiercely that you would empty yourself and come near. And God, would you just swell our hearts with love and affection for you. God, would you give us courage as your people to not just sing the Christmas song, but to live the Christmas story would you give us the courage to follow you, Jesus, all the way down? Lord, would the power of your love lower us into the margins of society so that the people that we encounter this week and our families and our friends and all around us would know how true and how beautiful the Christmas season truly is. Lord, I love you. Thank you for these people. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.